Hello, it's Pete. I hope you've caught up with the news by now that Stages has been recognised as a finalist in the Best New Podcaster category at the Australian Podcast Awards coming up on May 18. I created the show, I thought you might like a bit of history, because um, I've always loved listening to showbiz anecdotes and and learning the history from our industry and and coming face-to-face with some extraordinarily gifted practitioners. I know I'm providing some terrific insight for you, the listener, but I also consider it an important duty to record some vital oral histories from these people. These stories need to be preserved and shared. Growing up, I would tune in weekly to John West's showman program on Radio National or ABC Classical, I don't remember which one, but every Saturday it was, was broadcast. And But that was a time before streaming podcasts and the internet. We relied on that weekly show for all of our information of what was happening nationally and on Broadway and the West End. I listened to it religiously, and I think that's where all of this germinated. Of course, I became a big fan of Margaret Throsby and, and Richard Feidler and what they could accomplish in the long-form interview in, in their various interview programs, their charm and in investigative curiosity revealing great treats through conversation. More recently in podcasts I've been listening to, um, Alec Baldwin's Here's the Thing and Mark, Moran's, uh, Mark Maron's WTF both outstanding conversationalists who talk to the most fascinating array of people, and I encourage you to have a listen. I hope that provides some insight to where stages came from. I've, I've never really had uh, the chat to Mike before. Um, the podcast is building a, a very strong audience, and I, I couldn't be more delighted. So thanks for listening. A lot of you have sent me messages. I love that. So, so please don't hesitate to contact me if you've got something to say. I've, uh, I've even had some requests of artists who you'd like to hear on stages. I make note of that, and they're certainly on the wish list. But now it's time for this week's guest, so wherever you are, enjoy. Jacqueline Dark grew up in Ballarat, Victoria, a precinct that fosters participation in the arts and hosts a collection of community theatre companies, choirs and orchestras, all with the intent to practice excellence and provide opportunity and experience to the enthusiastic novice. A youth spent performing in amateur musicals, theatre restaurant and operetta afforded Jackie an opportunity to play and discover the power of performance. Standing out as a dynamic talent, it seemed imperative that she would be called to a career in vocal performance and the stage. After completing a Bachelor of Physics degree, she gave the classroom a brief stint, but the urge to perform professionally propelled her to the opera studio at the Victorian College of the Arts, where she graduated with first-class honours. Roles in musical theatre and opera followed, along with a swag of awards, all confirming Dark as a practitioner of note. Her performance experience also encompasses cabaret and the concert platform, all handled with aplomb and easy calibration. But perhaps her most significant role is that of mother, a role she pursued in her early 40s. Incidentally, another role as mother came along shortly after by way of a revival of The Sound of Music. I've known Jackie for several decades. There is always a lot to catch up on. It is a great joy to be in her company. She radiates warmth and wisdom. We commenced our chat in a galaxy not so far away at the beginning. Um, uh, so thanks for doing this. You're welcome. It's good it's to nice see you. It's nice to see you after so long. After 100 years. 100 years. Well, not quite 100 years, but uh, it's getting up there. I know. Um, do you remember getting your equity card? Your actor's equity card, and what were the circumstances around that? Oh my goodness! Because I'm happy to jolt your memory if you can't. Do you know really? We we did it together. <gasps> Auditions for Les Mis. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was so I was about I was so young. Oh my god! What were well, we I thinking? Well, I think I was I was about uh, nineteen. We were teenagers. So, yeah. So you must have been yeah. eighteen. Yeah. <laughs> and Les Mis was auditioning. It must have been that yes. very first production, wasn't yes. it? Yes. And you couldn't get an audition if you didn't have. You had to be an equity member. You had to member. be a member. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So fortunately, I'd, I'd been doing some commercials yes. um, at the local TV station, and you'd been doing singing gigs, I think, Something. and all that sort of thing. I so, was doing piano bar in a nightclub Yeah. at about 15, remember? So that was <laughs> enough to get us an equity yeah. card, I think. And then we, to, you and I and your brother tootled That's down right. to we went together. Melbourne to... The audition, it must have been in a, a warehouse. An open was it in MTC or something? It feels like 
in my memory, it's some kind of warehousey situation. It's something quite industrial. Or well, something like that. I mean, and we didn't have agents, of course. God, so it must have been just have turn been up and sing. Shocking. Do you remember what you did? Not in the least. Probably. I oh, honestly, I have no idea. Do you? I, yes, I, don't, yeah. I have no idea why. <laughs> Probably because it was so disastrous. But I went in and did uh, reviewing the situation because I thought I might have been a Tenardier of course uh, candidate. And I finished. I'd given it all my, uh, my the best fag and everything I could, you had. And they looked at me and they said. Oh, and you came all the way from Ballarat? <gasps> and I said, yeah, thank you. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm reading some subtext there. Yeah, anyway. I didn't know. I don't even think that I got that. I just think I kind of went in mousy and quiet and just, you know. But look at you now. Look at me now. Brassy as get up. Where did you grow up? In Ballarat in Victoria. And was did you enjoy that? Sunny Ballarat. Sunny I Ballarat. did look at that. Well, no, not often. It's freezing. Not often sunny. It is freezing. I always thought people were being sooks when they came from Melbourne and said, oh, it's so cold here. And then after living in Melbourne and visiting home, it was like, oh, God, it really is freezing, isn't it? Um, I loved it because, I mean, the, the one thing about Ballarat, as someone who was passionate about singing, is there's such a massive opportunity or number of opportunities for anyone to do that in that city. It's just a city full of the arts. It's got so many amateur theatre groups. It's got South Street. It's got, you know, so many amazing coaches and teachers and they really care about theatre in that in that city. So I think, you know, I was very lucky to, to come from there. Now I should tell our listeners that we're under the flight path at the moment. Yes, so, we are. <laughs> so we might get the, the odd... Uh, Conducting an interview in the flight, desk. Sydney to LA, yeah. uh, going over. So, so it was good. So, you uh, of course embraced the the opportunity to perform very regularly. Yes, with the local anywhere com- I could. Amateur companies I, opening of an envelope. I would sing absolutely anywhere I could. Loved it. Um, including not only musicals, but but operetta. You know, there was the the annual Begonia Festival, and they the, and featured they a lot did of operetta. Brilliant shows. You know, Barry Wilkins, um, which is where I met the brilliant Hugh Halliday. And the first time he directed me, I was like, "Wow, this is something." Um, I think it was his first one was Iolanthe, and I did it before Madonna. I had a silver, and if any, anyone who knows my body type would like to imagine me in a silver all over shiny body stocking with. Uh, Pointing triangular uh, bosoms. <laughs> Cones. Yeah, Cones-esque. Cones-esque. Yeah, so I, I did the, and my nickname was Tin Tits in the show, as I recall. Oh. Yeah. I don't know whether Gilbert or Sullivan would. I, um, I no, think they'd appreciate it. Appreciate I've never it. lived it down. Anyone who saw the show has never let me forget. Oh, and, and massive, like, stiletto boots. I looked quite the sight. Do you remember the, the first show that you did? In Ballarat? Yeah, well, yeah, whatever ever, really. Yeah, what what ignited your passion? Ballarat Light Opera Company. So, because the, they had a children's. Yes, uh, a children's. As well. Yeah, the Block Juniors. Um, I always wanted to be a singer, but I, I used to go around thinking, I just want to sing, and I don't know how I can do this. Can I? You know, I didn't want to really sing in a band, and I was too young anyway. Uh, I didn't. You know, I was looking at all these things. I didn't know musicals really existed, and then I went and saw a friend who was in Hans Christian Andersen, which was the Block show the year before. And I just went, oh my, what is this mysterious, wonderful world I've never experienced or heard of? That's what, I just went high. I remember going home and saying, that's what I want to do. How can I do that next year? And I was too nervous to audition and and self-conscious to audition for the chorus. So um, luckily my mum knew John Stutchbury, who was the director. (laughs) She rang up and said, look, do you just need bodies in the chorus that can go in without auditioning? And he let me just be in the chorus without having to sing in front of anyone because I wouldn't have had the confidence to do that. So he just let me be in that and gradually, like singing with that group of people, I got little bits, tiny bits of confidence and and it kind of spiralled from there. Do you, do you remember that the, the feeling of, of that first night with an orchestra and yeah, with an audience? Yeah. And how, how did that make you feel? Oh, absolute tingles. And telling a story, like just the feeling of getting a reaction to be on the stage for the first time and hear them laughing or hear them clapping or just responding to something you've done. It's like there really is this mystical connection between a performer and the audience. It's a real thing and it's a tangible uh, thing that happens and that's why we all do it. Um, that's what, I'm, you know, unless you do it for ego, which is, you know, fairly shallow and obvious. But um, if you do it for that, it's 
it's the most magical thing when it happens and it's it's glorious yeah so you had probably a good decade uh doing amateur shows yes yeah. how, how do you think that prepared you for what was going to be your future career as incredibly a well i think um and after becoming a professional singer you see people come in who haven't done that and they don't know stage right stage left prompt op they don't know like the just simple things that you and I, because I know you've done a lot of theatre before you did pro theatre, and just things like not standing in front of people, you know, don't don't block your your colleagues. Basic don't, stage craft. Yeah, you yeah. know, basic stagecraft, you know, don't face up stage unless you've been told to, unless there's a reason. You know, just the, the stuff you learn, and after 10 years of doing amateur, lots of amateur stuff, you just take for granted. So it's just a, or a massive amount of stuff you don't have to think about when you go pro. You, you can just think about character and voice and all those concentrate on all that stuff you need to the thing i loved about it too was was not only that basic stagecraft as a performer but you had the opportunity to experience different roles yeah uh, whether you wanted to sort of have a go at makeup or yeah yeah or it gave you a real appreciation playground of yeah and also learning how to behave learning you know there are certain some people have certain personalities in theatre and you learn very quickly how to deal with that and how to not be that. And, you know, the, you really learn how to respect fellow performers and everyone has a different way of getting through a show. And you see, you know, 10 versions of that and you learn, oh, that's that kind of performer. Okay, this is what they need. They need to be left alone. Or, okay, they need lots of support. or they. So you learn really how to work with your colleagues, which is a fantastic thing because... You know, one of the one of the joys of theatre is that gypsy tribe of family we get, and uh, I've been lucky enough to work with incredible people, and they're now all still part of my life, and and they are our little family wherever we go in the world, and that's because this gorgeous little group of heart, hearts is all banded together and supported each other, and and you know we're still mates because that's what it's about, really. <laughs> we did a. Uh, I was going to say a famous production um, <laughs> of Godspell. Do you remember that? Yes, infamous, I would say. Infamous, infamous. Um, yes. Look, and I remember, you know, eight eight times a week, which yeah. was hysterical because we did ten performances. Yes. Um, <laughs> eight shows a week for a week and a half. Falling in love with your voice. Oh, I mean, bless it you. It was the most magnificent voice, um, oh. certainly musical theatre voice uh, at that stage. Oh, bless. Um, which, was, which was great. I, um, you sang the... I fell uh, in love with your acting, so the, it's mutual admiration. Oh, not my voice. It was a musical, Jackie. <laughs> oh, love. Um, <laughs> uh, the, pe- oh, the Pebble testing. in the Shoe song. But um, <laughs> we we got letters to the local newspaper. We did. And uh, remember we all got the flu we and there was one performance out of the 11 that we had to cancel because we'd put on everyone up and to and including the director of the show and you know the stage manager had gone on and then everyone was so sick that we had to cancel the show and they said you know the devil has felled the production because they're so anti-god and they're all heathens well all right we're like no it's actually because we were all drinking out of that thing as we passed it around in the last supper and everyone got sick that's right yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely but but it was astounding that people um took objection to this this fabulous i know 70s musical broadway musical which we're doing it was great may i say you know Mm. it was a great show great cast i still remember that as one of the highlights of my career of things that i've done it was amazing who were your um idols when you were growing up um as performing idols or vocalists Wow. Well, I didn't know opera, so it wasn't opera people. It was music theatre people. Um, Certainly, you know, Deb Byrne, I loved. Uh, Mainly people who really connected with the audience. And, you know, as I was, as a little kid going to see her in things like Cats and Les Mis, she was one person who, every time she sang, it was honest and there was sincerity and you could just feel her heart like just beating in her hand you know it was just people like that maria mercedes um oh my god philip gould anthony warlow of course all of those famous music theater because i mean when we were you know late teenagers early early 20s that you know that was that explosion in the 90s of of musicals like cats and yeah 
and Les Mis and, and Phantom yeah. and, and those musical theatre performers. The big ones and Quast. Oh, my God. Yeah, and they were all putting out CDs. You know, Marina yeah. had a CD, yeah. Deb Byrne had a CD. And they made Warlo. stars out of them all. Yeah. They all became absolute superstars. Yeah, yeah. and it that's was the... something which probably isn't, we don't have today. No, but... not so much. And I think it, it was a conscious promotion too, which I think music theatre does well. I have to say they, when I did Sound of Music, I'd, I'd never, you know, experienced going into Burke Street Mall and seeing a massive poster of me, you know, in the middle of the mall. I was like, what is this? And, you know, when we went to Brisbane, there were flyers of me all down, um, all down South Bank, which, and they have your name on it. Like, it's not just a photo of you in a role or something, which is still gorgeous when they take photos of the actual performers. I love that. But they also had everyone's names up. So I think... I love that. I love promoting Australian talent. Of course I do. And um, I I think there can be more of that in general because um, I think that's when people go. It's like the movies. They see someone's name. If you see Anthony Warlow's name or Marina's name, people will go, oh, Marina's in that. I'm going to go. Yeah. Um, we look at Evita, this this recent season yeah, of Evita. You know, it sold out because yeah. of Tina Marina. Yeah. Mm. And if you make those names, if you call them, people will come. It's... Mm. People love following, and there is a real loyal following in Australia for for Aussie performers. And I just think we need to we need to make some stars out there. And I I think it would work. I know there's you know maybe I mean I'm not a producer. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe I know nothing. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> so at the end of uh, your secondary schooling, you pursue a very sensible career. Yes. And you go off to uni <laughs> I don't and know how sensible. You've, got a, you've got a qualification to fall back on. What did you I study? I have. I'm, I've got a Bachelor of Physics um, and a grad dip of education. Uh, so I yes, yeah, so I taught physics and maths for a while. I how, didn't how long did you teach? Uh, seven or eight years. And then I started kind of going part time and doing professional shows and right. then I did got offered more of them so they kind of took over and um did you enjoy teaching loved it absolutely loved it I loved it was the same thing that I enjoy now that I do like if I can help someone with auditions or thing something like that often people will come to me and in when I was doing musicals people would often come and saying look I'm having trouble with this phrase how do I fix this what you know can you give me some little fix for this and they'd often be really simple things and just watching their face light up and go oh my god I've struggled with that for a year and now this tiny little thing has fixed it and it was like yes (laughs) and I love that I love teaching physics when you'd be explaining some concept and one by one kind of at different point I mean kids learn differently and just see their faces light up as it's like oh I get it I get why this works and and I remember having that feeling myself because I was taught by the extraordinary Lynn Kelly, who was, she's the reason I did physics. She was my year 11 physics teacher and she was so inspirational and she made me love it so much and I still love it. Um, and I, people say, I hate physics or I hate maths. It's like, well, because you had a, a dud teacher and it's hard to get physics and maths teachers. So they put people in who don't love it or don't know it themselves that well. So how are kids going to love it if they're taught by someone who's kind of struggling to impart it uh, whereas I would go in like I did a little bit of you know emergency we call it emergency teaching in Victoria they oh, call right. it casual, casual teaching here, here. Yes, yes. and I'd say you know I want to do some emergency I thought, what even is that like is that like CPR or, or C3PR as my child calls it um but yeah it, and I would go in and whatever class it was I'd end up talking about quantum physics and <laughs> the kids would all come back going oh, I asked my dad last night about you know <laughs> the double slit diffraction and I'm like yes you did good on you <laughs> Because, of course, mathematics is a, 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 a good grounding for any good musician. Yeah, maths it? and music really go together. People get shocked that I do the two, but they're really they're, – they're so similar in so many ways, and it's, it's a similar kind of processing part of your brain that does – music is so mathematical, whereas the actual performance side is the opposite. It's, you know, instinctual and emotional, but the actual learning of it is very mathematical. <laughs> especially some modern pieces. So what about, you know, I must admit, I, I was surprised as well, not not because I didn't think you could do it, but it just came out of left field. But, <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> well, your, your pursuit of an operatic career. You know, I know. I, I, I recognise that you had yeah. this fantastic musical theatre voice, yeah. but all of a sudden it was extended into the field of opera. I know. So it... when did you discover that you had that potential in your voice? Um, 
I remember people, because I loved music theatre, as soon as I discovered it, I just went and listened to it all, and that is my first love. I loved it. Um, I was never a great belter. Like I'm a better belter now than I was then, but I always had this more classical-sounding voice. And I, I remember when people said, one of my mum's friends at the time said, oh, you know, you, I've heard your voice, you should look at opera. And I was like, what? how insulting. How dare you? What are you talking about? I'm a music theatre singer. How very dare you? And... Um, I then it, it hadn't really crossed my mind. I started learning classically because I wanted to be better. So I was learning classical technique quite late, um, but loving it and loving that I could do things that I couldn't do before. And But then the more I did that, the more I felt like when I was singing in that classical style, I always felt when I was trying to do belting and stuff that there was more there that just wasn't opening up. And then it was the classical technique that suddenly I was seeing stuff that was effortless and this big sound coming out. I was like, ah. And then our mutual friend, Jason Wosley, did the, um, applied for the uh, Victorian College of the Arts Opera Studio, which at the time ran, they ran a part-time course, which was three nights a week in Melbourne. So three nights, six till 10. I think it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And um, you got a... A diploma of opera I got a grad dip of opera because I already had a degree and um, it, it was utterly incredible it was really performance based he said you should go and audition for that and of course I had nothing really to sing so I went and sang something from Samson and Delilah in English instead of French and I think at the sta- that stage they only took six to eight people a year so over the three years it was only you know 18 20 people um and out of that, they would cast all of the operas and all of the scenes they performed. So it was a tiny pool of singers getting massive amounts of experience. And it was really elite. And I didn't think for a second I'd get in. And then they rang and said, you're in. And I thought, oh, man. And I was teaching full time. So I talked to the school and I said, look, I'm going to be going down three nights a week. Are you OK with this? And they said, as long as you can still do. And I was young and obviously full of energy because yeah. I taught. It's amazing what yeah, you can do. Yeah. Taught physics maths full time, drove from Melbourne to Ballarat, which is about an hour and a, an hour 15, three nights a week and um, did this course and all that entailed and um, loved every second of it. What does the course teach you? What, what sort of things did you study? Um, I did language, I did French, German, Italian. Uh, we did drama, we did movement, dance, all different sorts of dance. We did stuff like you know we did specialty subjects too we did you know some mime we did some I remember we did a mask workshop where we had to which was great because it was actually about learning to act without using your face so everything had to be in your body you would know as a proper actor um everything had to be in your body so you without using facial expressions you had to express everything you were feeling through physical stuff so I found that really fascinating um gosh what else did we do because of of course the 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 form is is not just the voice yeah Um, You've got to look the part and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. follow and the psychology the of the character. and, and, and all that. Yeah, which which is what interests me. Like I have no interest in just standing there and and singing. And, I, and in fact, in watching, I'd ra- much rather watch someone who's a bit rough and is giving it 100% and means it and breaks my heart than someone who sings a pitch-perfect, technically proficient thing that just leaves me... <laughs> well, and, and I guess that's why, you know, a lot of... Um, opera fans sort of like callous yeah more so than Sutherland yes, because yeah, she yeah. was able to act yeah 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 I think I mean I think Sutherland could act too but <laughs> but I know I know exactly what you're saying that the the old what we call it in opera is park and bark has kind of had its day I think um th- there was a place for that but I think now you know certainly I, I mean some people love that some people just go for the voices. For the and oral experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Which I completely understand because that's... And that's the thing opera has. That's our point of difference. Yeah. Like the voices. And they're unamplified and there's something visceral about hearing an unamplified voice if you're used to hearing musicals and things. I remember um, when we were rehearsing Sound of Music and everyone, when I first sang, they're like, oh, that's a... It's just a different sound. They're like, oh, that sound is... is we haven't heard that before. Well, how do, so how do you produce that that volume? That's all comes from the support, the support of the diaphragm. Yeah, yeah, and, and breath. And are, are some people, can you be taught that? Or is, you can be taught are, are some to people, a, It's a gift that some people have. I think physiologically you've got to be predisposed to to having a bigger voice. 
Um, or, I mean, it doesn't have to be a, a huge voice, but it has to have what you can learn is the ability to make it carry better. So you can certainly learn a technique to, you know, give it focus and give it a core and give it, you know, singer's formant, as we call it, which is that the ping that gets it across the orchestra. And um, it, you can learn that stuff. But the size of your voice is is genetic and um you know you can you can change it a certain amount but you know the the basic voice you have is your voice and that's where people get into trouble if they um, try to sing things that are too big or you know the wrong style that you know there are things that we'd all love to sing but you've just got to say oh no I'm not touching that (laughs) I'm lucky I was born with with a more dramatic voice because that's my personality like I love those roles I love dramatic you know and I love playing bad girls if I had been born with a soubrette voice which is those little pretty soprano you know who play all the gorgeous farm girls and things I, oh my god I, I don't know what I do <laughs> well that's right your vocal type I suppose predisposes you to certain characters roles of yeah, course yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so what vocal type are you uh well uh, it uh, it's been debated for my whole career right I'm Nominally a mezzo-soprano, which is the middle. There are contraltos which don't really exist so much. They're very, very rare. And those, you know, those lower old singers that were really low and resonant. Um, But a mezzo is kind of, you know, your middle. And then sopranos are at the top. And within those, there are variations. Like there are some that are light, like dramatic ones, heavier, lyric ones, lighter, coloratura, does the runs and stuff. Um, But I'm a high mezzo, so there is speculation that I may be a soprano that just needs to try harder. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're coming out of Ballarat too, I have to say, that it's extraordinary the amount of opera singers. Yeah. Which, who we've seen, you know, people like Elsie Morrison, Marie Collier, the Lemkes, you know, David and Roger... David Hobson, Hobson yep. Natalie Jones. Is it something in the water? And performers in general. Like, there are just so many people doing stuff. I think I think it is legitimately the fact that we get the opportunities to develop ourselves slowly and well. Because um, I see this in opera a lot, that you get an awesome voice. Well, not a lot, but you see it in opera. And in music theatre, you get someone who is a gun singer and they come in and they're like, wow, whiz-bang, shove them in a role and they crash and burn because they've got no background, they've got no training, they've got nothing to back up their vocal technique with. It's just like this raw talent that then just gets absolutely shattered because they haven't got, you know, they haven't had those years of building up stamina or building up a knowledge of how to protect their voice and protect their body and protect their soul. (laughs) You know, it's... um, So I think... we Ballaratians. Ballarations. Um, Ballarations. Sorry. I like that. That's very posh. Thank you, Ballarations. Um, You you learn stamina. You you learn how to pace yourself. You learn how to get through a show. Like, you know, you don't go out drinking all well. Well, sometimes you do. But, you know, if you want to do a good performance, you you don't go out every night before an opening night. You know, you you learn that discipline very well, early on. Well, this on is interesting, isn't it? Because um, the voice is your, it's your cash cow. It's your, yeah. it's your survival. It's your career. Uh-huh. How do you look after it on a daily basis? Um, I think the big one for me that, I mean, I'm lucky because I've got cords of steel as the every ENT I've ever been to is like, you've got the most pristine cords of any opera singer I've ever seen because we get them every time... You feel a bit, you know, oh, my voice, you know, I've had a cold for a while. You go to an ENT and that you just get checked out. Um, but thank God I've never had anything go wrong. Um, but the big thing that most of them say is don't talk over loud things. Like don't don't talk all day over people speaking. Don't talk over transport. Like if you're walking down the street talking on the phone over buses and things and you're just, you know, trying to talk loudly, don't talk at nightclubs, loud cafes and stuff. All of that everyday wear is really much more wearing than singing because you're not using your proper technique even though, and I'm not now, I I should use proper technique every time I speak, but I just can't bring myself to do it because I sound like a wanker. And um, I was reading about um, Renee Fleming the other day when she's in performance. She she reports to be phone phobic and avoids using the phone around performance time because she says it pushes and tenses the voice, which fatigues it. Yeah, it's the same thing if you're talking over... Um, and I mean things like not being in smoky environments or, you know, polluted environments. Um, is coffee bad for it, the voice? Oh, probably, but I'm not giving that up. No. Hey, don't ask <laughs> that. At least you don't smoke. 
Yeah. Um, it's dehydrating, but... Um, You'd got, you yeah. must have to be super healthy because you, you are vocal yeah. Olympians, aren't yeah. you? You're vocal Look, athletes. I think a lot of it... I, I'm, I'm in two minds on this because, yes, you do have to. You can't go nuts and... Um, I'm also lucky because things like dairy and stuff don't affect my voice. Some people get really affected with <coughs> the word mucus. We talk about mucus a lot as opera singers. You, you know, we don't, you, you're kind of talking about it on the train and you see civilians kind of looking at each other, rolling their eyes, but well, it's opera probably, singers... It's probably talk, better than phlegm. Yeah, I know. We talk about all of our secretions and stuff all the time. We're repulsive. But um, some people get affected by that stuff, so they have to be a lot more careful. But things like... You know, alcohol, um, drying stuff, you know, just stuff that can affect your body badly is going to, anything that affects your body is going to affect your voice. Worse than food for me is exhaustion. If I'm really tired, um, it I find that a lot more, a lot tougher to get through a show than anything I, you know, ingest. But certainly being fit helps your stamina. Yeah. Like you, you can't get up there and do a five-hour opera if you're totally just... Unhealthy. Yeah. Mm. As opposed to, you know, that popular, you know, misapprehension that opera singers are all totally unfit and huge. And, you know, it's, it, it, you can't get up there and sing for that long um, and sound that good for that long if you haven't got some degree of fitness. Are you exhausted (laughs) at the end of a performance? Uh, It usually takes me a while. I'm usually still, I get nervous before every performance, every single time, whether it's 10 people in a lounge room or, if every time but um i i stay high on adrenaline for at least an hour after a show so i don't come down straight down but then i just suddenly will get home and, go, and crash <laughs> and i'm troughing yeah uh, so i i stay up for a while after the show but then yeah when i crash i crash so ballet dancers are at the bar every day refining their techniques yes. do, do you do you practice singing every day? No. Um, and or, I find or regularly? That, or, I mean, yeah, look, when you're singing a lot, yeah. basically, some people do. Don't talk over that plane. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't because whenever I'm actually actively singing, I'm thinking about my technique anyway. So, And I'll take away certain phrases of that and practice them. And rather than doing scales and things, I'm practicing various things on my voice but constantly thinking about technical things until I hit the stage and then all that stuff goes and it's just performance but while I'm learning a role I I think about all that which is basically the same as practice so I don't do but yes I don't do specific exercises unless I need to I might if I'm warming up I don't warm up much either I'm a bit I'm a bit bad I'm a bad example bad singer singer. bad singer (laughs) I should warm up I just I always remember well maybe it's a maybe it's been misattributed but um there was some quote from Joan that she she said yes Mm. which is that if she if she's in good voice she doesn't need to warm up and if she's in bad voice it doesn't make any difference well I guess as as the individual performer you know your body you know your voice you know what it needs some people need to warm up a lot yeah and um I get that and some roles I do um but not not a huge amount because I also think it can be counterproductive especially if you're if you're not feeling 100%, like if you're already a bit fatigued and you go and sing, and I've known a singer who does this, she, she would go in for three hours before an opera and she'd be sung out by the time she hit the stage. Like yeah. She'd just be wrecked by the time she got there. And that's just, that's craziness. Well, there's those stories of <laughs> Ethel Merman too, yeah. who apparently didn't warm up. No. She went in, got dressed out yeah. on the stage and gave this fabulous oh, performance. We, uh, when I did um, Madame Butterfly with Jerry Hadley, who worked with her, and... He's got some fabulous stories of her with, is it, was it, I think it was Mary Martin who did warm up a lot. Yeah. And they were doing something at Carnegie Hall or something. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and they didn't have dressing rooms. They just had segmented, you know, things and they could all hear each other and she'd been warming up forever. And it just like screw out, save it, love. You haven't got that much left, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, there are some people who just don't. And I can, I can imagine Ethel didn't need to. She didn't need to. Cough and a spit and she'd be out there. Absolutely. Uh, pipes of uh, steel. Yeah. Um, so as an opera singer, of course, you're singing in different languages. Yes. Um, are you a good linguist? I am. I'm a... No, I'm not going to say that. No, please don't. No, and I, I didn't say it for that. But yes, yes but um, well led. Um, 
Yes, I'm. I'm kind of lucky that I've got a good ear. There are people better than me. That you know, I'm. But I. I have a friend, Kath Carby, who is ridiculously good. Like she will hear a language once and be fluent. She's. So how do you learn? Are you learning it phonetically, or do you actually have some understanding of what words mean? Well, because I studied it first at at College of the Arts, and then I mean I've worked in Austria, so I've my German's the best. Um, Can you converse in German? I can to it. I could. I was fluent when I was there. Right. I wouldn't be now, um, but I'd get that back up fairly quickly. Um, and Italian and French, I've sung so much in that you really do get to know them. And I've studied them, and that you never feel like you know them that well until you do an opera in something like Russian or Czech, and you don't know it much at all. And you're like, oh my god, I never realised how well I knew the other three languages until I did something like this because that. I did something in Russian and it was basically phonetic until I got a better feel for the language and then it started to flow and I started to see words repeating and but learning it in the first place wow I don't know how any opera singer could do it without having at least a decent grasp of the language because my first teacher who was a fabulous old Polish woman Halinka Dotarzynska um, always said if you don't know exactly what you're singing how can you make the audience understand it or feel anything she said you have to know every word because how will you know where the emphasis should be you cannot sing phonetically because you can't get a flow you can't make it you can't make someone's heart moved if you don't know what you're saying yourself and i'm sure it, and connecting to the text and yeah. having some feeling is yeah. what's going to move an audience exactly that's what makes and the great it, singers and the mediocre yeah singers. if you're yeah. singing phonetic i just don't get and i know people do that and make it sound beautiful but it's I, I can't I can't come at that because I need I need that connection I need that you know. Yeah. So I suppose you're singing in different sized uh, theatres and halls mm-hmm. and things too. How do you calibrate your voice to fit the different size space? I don't think you do. I think you just right. sing and trust. Um, I think Melbourne's almost twice as big. Opera theatre in Sydney at the Opera House is quite small. So it's gorgeous that like you can make a tiny little sound and it pings out to the back. And you can still do that in Melbourne as long as you do it with great technique, like as long as you do it with with cut and with... Um, but I, I don't change my technique. Even when I was doing a musical, I don't change my technique. And I think that's where some people can get into trouble if they try to readjust their voice. Um, I think you have to trust the conductor if you're in a massive space and you're singing against a big orchestration, they'll pull a good conductor will pull the orchestra down, whereas you wouldn't need to in a smaller space so much. And you know, I, or you might if the orchestra is massively loud. But um, I think if the team's working together, you just sing with your technique, and they'll say we need more, we we need less. You know, um, the conductors. Uh, giving signals as to what yeah the conductor turning up the gives volume very clear very yeah. clear no he doesn't tend to do it like a, a tweak <laughs> a knob, a knob. <laughs> no it's usually you know hands up hands down yeah. right. <laughs> um, but yeah they give you pretty clear instructions on whether and you find out in rehearsals too if you need to give more juice or um, and just how quiet you can be you know uh, there are some venues where your piano in another venue is you know, your, your mezzo forte in that venue, you know, you've got to bring it all up a bit because it's much bigger. But your technique stays the same, you know. You, you can just, you, you maybe change the, the basic volume a notch, but, you know, not, not too much. I guess your performance rests a lot on the conductor and your relationship. It does. It really does. Um, um, and that must be... Um, sometimes if you've not worked with a conductor before, yeah. it's flying by the seat of your... Not it, flying by the seat of your pants, but but you're not in that area of, of comfort or safety of, yeah, that you would normally Yeah, of knowing. Feel. And it's good if you're doing a big role that you've never done, knowing that you're going into it with someone you know and love and trust. Um, but having said that, I've done roles, you know, big role debuts with people I've never worked with and loved it because I, there, there are very few conductors that... I've had bad experiences with. I love them. I think they're. I have so much respect for them because uh, I haven't got a bachelor of music degree. So that degree of musicality of knowing all those instruments and transposing instruments and reading fifteen hundred different clefs and being able to hear those textures, you know, just having that. Um, there's another superstar from Ballarat, Ben Northey, who's conducting. Oh, amazing. Yeah, we're ben, we're doing a Christmas concert together. Wonderful. Um, but yeah, just the fact that they can hear those textures and pick what exactly what needs to be tweaked to get the perfect, you know, ensemble sound. I just have so much respect for that. So, I think if you go into it with that attitude, that 
we're all here to create something gorgeous together, um, they're on your side. Like, that's what they want too. So I think as long as you have that attitude, I don't think you ever really have a problem. Yeah. Like, you can get conductors who have a bit of a, you know, histrionic temperament, but <laughs> you just let them go and they always come back, you know. Um, you've, you've got an extensive CV, I must say. Um, oh, Kattish, I'm old, darling, I'm are, old. Well, well, I know how old, but yes. uh, you're not that old. Um, Kadisha, Madalena, Amelia, Flora, Suzuki, Dorabella, oh. far too many to mention here. But do you have a favourite role? Oh, gosh. I loved singing. I sang composer in Ariadne auf Naxos with Victorian opera and which Richard Gill had trusted me, like he gave me that role. And I was kind of saying, you, sh- you know, I think, I think I can probably sing it. Are you sure I can sing it? Which I said to Lyndon Terracini a time or two, you know, he said, I want you to sing that. And I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yep, you'll be right. And he was, he was correct. I guess they, they weren't, they, that is why they're in those roles. Yeah, they've heard they, voices. They know, yeah. Um, but, um, you know, Richard said, yes, I really want you to sing this. And it was a, an absolute turning point in my voice and my career. I started singing this Strauss massive it's just these massive gorgeous long lines and some and really high um and suddenly my voice just opened up and sat I I suddenly thought this is what I'm supposed to be singing and that was when the kind of Verdi Strauss Wagner world opened up for me I was like oh suddenly it just felt like I was opening my mouth and I was making no effort but this sound was just pouring out and that's for me that's perfect technique when you're singing something that's right it feels like you're doing nothing. It just feels like you're sitting above the sound and it just, it, oh, it's gorgeous. It just pours out. It's, um, so that was, and Richard actually sent me an SMS a couple of months ago saying that. He just said, look, Flossie, just wanted to let you know that that composer was oh, <laughs> one of the, still one of the pinnacles of my career. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> um, but it was really special. Um, so that was certainly one. Um, Sound of Music every night was when I took that when I took Mother Abbas on. Apart from the fact that they cut the line, which the famous line, yes, the infamous line, they didn't which trust came, me with it. I wouldn't trust um, you either. <laughs> but that was when I first took it on. I thought, how am I going to make this fresh eight times a week? Because I'd never done eight shows a week apart from our famous Godspell for eleven, <laughs> ten slash eleven shows. We did one week. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I never had to try because it's such a brilliantly written show and brilliantly written music that it just, it, I cried every night, didn't have to think about it. And of course was acting opposite Amy La Palma, who just, who was different every night and divine and wore a heart on her sleeve. So I was like, oh, we're right. <laughs> did, you, did you get much knitting done? Because she just, she's out for a couple of scenes and she's a lot of time in no, the dressing room, it, She does a lot Moore what were you, in a, the a German musical? At the end or no, but I tried. Right. Um, she does a lot more because she sings favourite things and stuff. She's on for oh, a okay. lot more time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she does get a little chunk. But I was learning. What was I? Oh, I went straight into the ring cycle after that. So I was singing back the ring cycle. Talk about versatile. Yeah. <laughs> I literally I did my final sound of music in Adelaide on a Sunday matinee, and I started rehearsing the ring three. I sang in three of the four ring operas on the Monday in Sydney. I had no break. It was insane. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, never rains, but it pours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so what about composers? Do you have a favourite favorite composer that you like to sing? Oh, Strauss and Wagner are, yeah. are kind of really my thing. They just sit. They just, they're effortless. And Verdi I love. But, and I, I sing it, I sing it all right, but it doesn't, it doesn't give me the hoo-hahs like, you know, the um, Strauss is probably... Yeah, Strauss and Wagner. What about music theatre composers? Um, well, obviously all the classic ones. I mean, it's it's funny because some of the things I'd love to sing, I won't sing because they're all the... I love belt shows too, you know. <laughs> um, I love Les Mis. I, that was... I remember seeing that was just, you know, groundbreaking for me. I bawled non-stop. Um, and Sondheim, of course. Oh, I remember God, you. Sondheim, my I God. I remember hearing you do I Never Do Anything Twice was one of the first oh, well, things yes. I heard you sing. Yeah, of course. Was, I'll have to sing that again. You must sing that again, I'd yeah. forgotten. I, didn't I pull you into that 
somehow? Uh, I, I believe so. And there, was, <laughs> there was one night with your brother, and I forget who, but we did um, invocation. Oh, and instructions at the Encore Awards. Yeah, it's in Ballarat. In Ballarat. Yeah. We also did sections of Les Mis with the glorious, who do we have? Simon Maiden. That's right. Singing Gavroche. Simon, who's oh. about to open in um, Come From Away. In, yeah, in... In mm. Melbourne, which is fantastic. Oh, he's a superstar. Yeah. I still... Simon, if you're listening, and Peter and everyone, I still have that on uh, DVD. I've been threatening for years to pull that out. Oh, the... the... <laughs> I have Invocation and oh, right. I have the Les Mis All right, okay. highlights. Moving along, Jackie. <laughs> That's great. Um, I've forgotten what I was going to say now, but uh, very good. You so you wonderful. You... Moved into musical theatre, of course. Yes. Um, but you were doing a lot of that before your opera career took yes. off. I think you did things like My Fair Lady and yep. um, had you uh, done a Sweeney Todd? I hadn't. I did uh, like ensemble of Sweeney Todd with OA. Oh. When I first, the first year I came to OA, I, I was singing in Vienna and Simone Young was conducting something there and asked to hear me sing. So I sang in a room for her and she asked if I'd come back and be a young artist, and I said yes, because I actually, I mean, it was interesting because there were some kind of contracts coming up in Germany, but I was incredibly homesick, and I'm a real homebody, so I wanted to come home, and it was my first time away from home, really, so, um, so I, um, yeah, uh, hopped home. Distracted and, by the neighbours yes, singing by out the next neighbors. door. I'm loving it. I love it. I love this is the best interview I've done. About planes, <laughs> children, neighbours. Oh, no distractions. Um, yes, a, but I came back and four D uh, experience. Yeah, and I they they had you know allocated me some roles. I did some awesome stuff that first. You know, I, was, I did the title role in Ilanthi. I was in Lindy Chamberlain, the opera. Um, yes, I read was, it on the fish and chip papers. Oh my god! I yes, that as on the fish and chips. Oh, it was awesome and. Well, that, that, that's interesting too. What's it like to do new works like that and also really oh, absurdist pieces like The Nose? Brilliant. You know, that's I love stuff. it. I yeah. love it. That, is it uh, I hate more learning, challenging? I hate learning them because they're so hard. Right. Um, but I, I love doing them in the end because they're just – I mean, you know my personality. I'm a bit quirky anyway. So I just love that off-kilter, off-centre, and I love surprising an audience. And um, oh, like our cabaret, I just like – you know, kind of doing three, you know, one eighties, and uh, yeah, I I love pieces that do that, and what? modern works that just that no one's heard, people don't know what to expect, and it's great giving something life for the first time. It's awesome. Well, watching you too, I think you know what stands you in good stead is you are a very versatile performer. Yeah, you you can yeah. Um, swing between a lot of different forms, which is is yeah, fantastic. It, it has been a blessing I have to but, say. but sound of music you, you know you're crowned with a role which has been um, adopted by a lot of great Australian yeah. singers like June Bronhill and you. Racina Resbeck <laughs> and Eileen Hannon was it daunting to no take, pressure no was it daunting to take on the role of mother of, of course of course um I was very lucky that the team there was an incredible team and Gavin our director was amazing and um I and the producers were amazing, and our musical team. You know, we had Luke and Peter, we had and Matt, and that, that everyone was working together to create the best thing they could. And I was, you know, I wasn't used to doing. I hadn't done spoken dialogue for a while, so you know, I'd worked on that, and I was talking to the director about that, and he had suggestions about how I could maybe tweak bits of that and I'm using the word tweak far too much that's not a word I use regularly but you brought it out in me Pete I'm sorry um, <laughs> no, it's great and um, so, so I I was kind of doing the best I could and then letting them mold me within what was kind of my performance anyway so I was really lucky that they they had ideas plus they let me bring myself to it if that makes sense that you know, I, it wasn't a cookie cutter thing. They really looked at the individual personalities and let us be ourselves, but then helped us be better. And it was a, a beautiful team and a beautiful cast. And I was really, we were all so lucky just to have that behind us. Cause, and they were constantly affirming that we're so lucky to have this cast. So all of those apprehensions we had about, are we going to be compared to everyone? with that helped because they kept saying, we're really happy with you guys. You're able to be your brand new production. Yeah, yeah. A new revival. Yeah, don't be anyone else, be yourselves. Um, so how does the routine of appearing in musical theatre 
differ from opera because you know you're doing eight yeah. shows a week in yeah. opera. You'd be doing one what every second, every second, uh, third night, yeah, fourth night, two or three a week. Yeah. Um, unless you were like back when when we were ensemble at Opera Australia, we would do a lot more than that. Um, but uh, not not that's not a usual thing. Um, I think it's a very different discipline. In in opera, you're unamplified, so you basically have to give not a pristine, but a very very high quality, you know, note perfect, very good vocal performance every time unamplified and that takes a lot of energy that takes a lot of physical you know physicality and you do that for three or four hours and um then you rest for a couple of days so music theater you're amplified so if you're feeling a bit low like if you're feeling a bit you've got a bit of a cold whatever you can trust the sound the sound text they can say you know you don't need to sing out mind you i kind of didn't subscribe to that as much because if i'm singing i'm just singing with my technique so you know you just i didn't change much but you did have that option to you, you know you don't have to project into a 2000 seat theater using nothing but your body you know you have got the weight of technology behind you um but it's certainly a different thing you learn to pace yourself a lot more um, I, I didn't go out basically at all, but you know I was a, a. Well, a lot of people say that a lot of music theatre performers saying it's very much a monastic experience. It is. It is. You do the show, and yeah. then you, you go you're home. home and you yeah. rest. And, yeah. yeah. And and so many people who do leads in music theatre are so like Amy, extra, one of the most extraordinarily disciplined humans. Um, you know, she'll have days where she doesn't talk to protect her voice if she's doing a lot of. You know, we had weekends where we had four show weekends, so you don't really want to be making a lot of vocal sacrifices on top of that you know um so it's that discipline of just and but also as you said before knowing your voice and knowing how much you can do and how much you can't do um but there are opera singers like that too that can be there's a lot of sacrifice in that too if you're singing those big wagner roles i know people will say like gorgeous stuart skelton who's now you know conquering the world in those roles always says all right i give up you know he loves his uh, Negronis, I think he had these amazing, you know, cocktails he creates. But he's like, you know, X number of days before rehearsals start, he stops and he does not have anything. You know, he is a temple for that period of, you know, and it's just an incredible discipline. It's like, okay, I love these things, but I, I can't do these two things together and do this to the highest of my ability. So that has to go. I think in an opera, you need to vocally pace yourself more. And I think in music theatre, you need to physically pace yourself all the time, like yeah. for your whole life yeah. more. Would you um, like to do more musical theatre? I would. I can't tour as much now, which is a pity because there were some gorgeous things I could have obviously auditioned for or gone for, but um, I can't so much. My, my little boy's six, so he's in school now. Um, so I can't do the touring as much. So let's, let's talk about that then. That's yeah. a good segue. <laughs> you became a mum quite late yes um the desire for parenthood must have been quite powerful it was i'd always wanted to have kids and i was um because i'm also a scientist i was obviously reading about the the medical facts of the thing which is the older i got the less chance i had <laughs> and i got to a point where i thought i i just had to i was single and i just thought i just had to do this so i went out and just did it and um so i was um uh, I've not regretted it for a second, even though it's 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 a tough road. Like being a single mum and trying to do this career. He was, I think, when I went on Sound of Music, he was two to four, um, so it was tough. You know, I had to find daycare in different cities for days I was rehearsing and get babysitting at night for every night that I was on, and <laughs> it was really tough. And I'm incredibly lucky that I've got my best friend, Kanan Breen, who is is wonderfully supportive, but he does his career too. So he's gone for long periods at a stretch. And, um, you know, when he's here, he's he's amazing and they adore each other. Um, but essentially it's my um, responsibility and um, I wouldn't be without him because he's... He's gorgeous. The absolute light of my... Yeah, he's he's just... And Kane says that too. Like, they are so in love with each other. And, you know, it, it's beautiful to watch that as well, that, that how much it's enriched his life too. Yeah, so he 
it's it's given us both a lot of perspective. You know, you can have a bad show or, you know, have a bum note and come home and go, oh, well, cuddles. <laughs> it's it's it and really... And all is right with the Yeah, world. yeah. It's, um, it's has it changed... Motherhood changed you as a performer, do you think? I think so. Um, and in what way? I, I remember when I used to sing Madame Butterfly, I always got really emotional at the point where she gave the baby away or gave the baby and knew that you knew she wasn't going to see him again. And I don't think I could do it now. I just don't think wow. like yeah. I, before I had kids, I would sob. And yeah. now I just think, Oh my God, it's just like <laughs> so much more empathy. <laughs> yeah. So much more understanding. It's yeah. just, and I remember there'd be nights during sound of music when I got to that act one finale of climb every mountain and be looking out into the audience and it, it was it was I don't know what it was in my brain there because of course I missed tucking him in at night that's the other thing with music theatre you're not home at nights so I missed reading in bedtime stories for a while I missed tucking him in um, and sometimes I'd be halfway through the end of that song you know a dream that will need all the love you can give and his face would just pop up and I'd be like oh my god and my whole body would just like and it it would take the whole song to another level and uh, it just, you know, some nights I'd just be singing to him and, um, you know, it really does change perspectives and it does give you a, a much deeper... And people will say when you're pregnant you get very emotional, you cry at RTA ads and you, you know, all that stuff and anything to do with kids and it doesn't go away. I thought it would, uh, post-hormonal, you know, it would go... It never does. You're always more emotionally sensitive to, well I am I mean I and and people I've spoken to seem to have the same experience but it's like oh man everything makes me cry now I was bad enough before <laughs> that's a good thing yeah, yeah. um so what, what, let's talk about when you were pregnant how, how was your voice affected at all no um, mine I mean it got a bit bigger and bizarrely higher I was told it would get bigger and lower it got bigger and higher um, so I was doing, when I found out I was pregnant, I was doing Don Giovanni. So I did two seasons of that and poor Teddy Tahu Rhodes and, and Shane Laurentiev, who were two of my Don G's, like were throwing me to the ground and kneeling on me and wrestling me. And I couldn't tell anyone because I was wow. early pregnancy and they, like, they were coming up going, oh, I had no idea, Jax, how, oh my God, the things I did to you. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And I just said, I would have told you if, um, and then after that it was Mozart, Mozart. Um, I used to sing Mozart to put him to sleep because he knew it. Um, and then I did uh, the the Benedict Andrew Marriage of Figaro with Opera Australia. And I was, I think, nearly eight months pregnant. So they put me in this big, I was the mum, so it was hilarious. I just looked like a tent. Um, but he he's a big fan of having things fall from the ceiling. So there was a he had like confetti all over the floor and I was meant to run on the stage and it was so slippery. And I think I, it kind of became a run walk because it was... You had to be careful. I know. And that was when I had to actually admit I was pregnant because he, there was a point where he wanted someone to push me roughly, push me roughly, yeah. Roger, to the stage. Um, and I ended up having to say, look, can I just do it more gently? And he said, no, I want it to be really... I'm like, oh, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to kind of go up and say, look, I, I, that, this is why I'm not precious, but, yeah, yeah. maybe not. I'm having a baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, Jack, the, the last 12 months have certainly presented their challenges to you. There's they been have. a few, few low points. Yeah. How, as a performer, do you remain positive and, and look forward to the future and um, securing more work? Yeah, look, I... I think you, any performer has their low points. Um, we all do in this industry, and I think it's all about how you deal with them. And I think I honestly think if there was anything else, like I say, they always say, "What advice do you have for young singers?" I'm like, if you're happy doing anything else, do it, because this is a really tough career. Um, but I'm not. This is who I am. It's not just something I do. It's it's me. And <laughs> um, so I think you then have two choices and one is to um wallow and uh, you know feel sorry for yourself and that just makes everyone around you miserable and doesn't do you any favors or you reinvent yourself and find your own opportunities and make your own opportunities which is hopefully what i've, I've, I've done my fair share of wallowing don't get me wrong <laughs> um and those around will attest to that but i think i had you know i had a right to have a bit of wallow over a few situations but um i 
I also think, looking back, there are things that I have lost, but they've led to me doing things I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Yeah, that's a great way to look um, at it. Yeah, yeah it, mm. things have come up to fill voids that... When, know, when a window closes, yeah, the door opens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hang on, Auntie Mame. Yeah. Open you. Is it um, the- it's... Um, I did. I did Rufus Wainwright's opera Prima Donna. Oh, Prima Donna! How was that? I did the lead role in that at yeah. Adelaide Festival. I mean, it's a soprano role, and Neil Armfield just came up to me and gave me a score in a plastic. It was like this illicit, you know, this paper bag with. He's like, "Have a look at this and see if you could sing it." And I looked at it and I thought, "Oh, top C's, yeah, look." And I, I had a crack and I took a few days. He said, "Take some days." And I went back and I said, yeah, I think I can. He didn't tell me what it was. Because um, I, I remember seeing a documentary uh, when he, when Rufus yeah. Wainwright first did it. So yeah. was that uh, what, only the second it's, production? or No, there, I, been there have been a few others? in the There's world, few, but it was the first in Australia. I'd right. love to do it again because it's it's a genius role. I love the role. It's, it's just, I loved it so much. And I wouldn't have got to do that. And I did it with Rufus and he sat in every rehearsal and was giving me personal notes and... Every, every rehearsal we had. And then the second half of the program was him doing his Judy Garland show. So I got to rip off my costume and race upstairs and they had a bottle of champagne for me and a seat. And we just sat there and watched him. And it, it was the most extraordinary experience. Um, and that's something I wouldn't have got to do. You know, Black Rider, the Tom Waits opera with Victorian opera, which was, you know, that cast, you know, Paul Capsis, Kane and Breen, Meow Meow, Gato Chocolat, Richard Piper, Dimity Shepherd. Have I forgotten anyone? Jack, I'm going to have to vacuum the carpet after. Oh, I know. We finish because you're dropping all the names. I know, but that show, that cast. Oh my god, it's like, oh yes, um, Winston. Yes, of course. Um, but it was uh, the most extraordinary cast to get together, and that's something else I wouldn't have had the chance to do. And then Kate and I have created this um cabaret called Strange Bedfellows, and we've written a few shows, um. We're not those prolific cabaret performers who just write a show every year or every six months. When we've got something to say, we write one. So we're on our fourth show now, which is a Christmas show that will be uh, appearing before you this December. <laughs> so please come. Remembering um, that we're listening to this oh, uh, next yes, that's year, right. 2019. <laughs> so it, it was a really yeah, great cut show. Yes, cut that. Yes. And a lot of people um, went. Yes. Mm. So, well, hopefully. Um, yeah, so we're, we've created that cabaret, so we're getting some some mileage out of that um and i'm just trying to think about it just things have come up that uh, so there are positives yeah 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 yeah. um and the other thing i mean i did a gig with the australian ballet which was incredible i got to sing um with the australian ballet in their murphy tribute recently and um last year and (laughs) it was that was extraordinary and getting to work with because while i was full-time with opera australia you don't really, you know, the other companies stop asking for you because you're never available. Not available yeah, um, yeah. But now, you know, it, I've, you know, I've worked in Queensland and South Australia and you know, I've worked for the Oz Ballet. So and you've Victoria. got a degree of freedom. You're a bit sort of yeah, freelance. It, it and is, you're a which is, it, it's, it's positives and negatives because mm. you don't have a regular income. But the things I'm doing are just so exciting and, and so much fun. You know, I've worked with two ensembles this year. We wrote a, a Strange Bedfellows show with um, Jess Wells, who's an incredible composer and um, performed with Plexus Ensemble, who are this whiz-bang modern classical ensemble. And I did this other piece in at Melbourne Recital with um, Syzygy Ensemble, who are another gun, modern, classical, instrumental, incredible stuff. Um, and again, really difficult music, but I think I can sing anything now after learning some of those pieces. Um, but, yeah, I've, it just some of the things. I, I'm trying to teach my little boy. One thing I say to him a lot when he's whinging about me saying no is you've got to look at the things you've got, not at the things you haven't got. Because if you keep looking at the things you haven't got, you're never going to be happy. No, you're not. No. You know, you, you have to look at look at the things you've got and really cherish them and make the most of them and... You know, the things you you don't have, you'll forget about, or they'll fall by the wayside. But you yeah, grab the things you've got with both hands and and use them and keep going. And I think that's the secret to it all, really. <laughs> Does that sound too naff? <laughs> no, no, it's absolutely. I think so. I mean, as long as I've known you, you've always been an incredibly positive person. You've yeah. always had a smile and a laugh. Yeah. Oh, that, it did stop for a little while, but. 
not long. <laughs> well, I hope that it may long continue. I, I do too. Darling, thank you so much for this conversation with Stages oh, today. It has been my absolute pleasure. Yeah. Um, it, it, and to see you again. Oh, yeah. After, you know, we, we kept putting it off. But um, yes. uh, I'm glad, yes, that we're here and we're doing this. And, Me too. Uh, yeah. Let's have yeah. a drink. Yes. All right. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love stages. Always something new to learn. If you enjoyed this conversation, you're bound to enjoy many more from the stages archive. You'll find conversations with Tony Lamont, Geraldine Turner, and Andrew McFarlane, just to name a few and all with fascinating tales across all stages. Find the podcast on Bushka or in iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe so that you may receive each new episode as it drops. And take the time to rate and review the podcast. Please, it helps us reach a broader audience and share these great conversations. I'm Peter Ayers and you've been listening to Stages. (laughs) 